chapter 9, and I guess it would help if I turn to Mark chapter 9. Uh, Mark chapter 9, and I want to read verse 29. And the Bible says these words, And he said unto them, this is Jesus, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. spent some time this morning with prayer and uh, tonight I hope it's going to be instructional and helpful about fasting and uh, let's ask the Lord to touch our hearts here tonight Lord I am thankful for this Lord this service it's been so encouraging I'm thankful Lord for your spirit that's been here there's things Lord that your spirit God has touched my mind, my heart, and I know, Lord, that it has touched others. I thank you, Lord, for the sense of authority that we feel spiritually. I'm thankful, Lord, for the hunger and for the liberty and for the freedom in the spirit that we feel. And I ask you, Lord, tonight that you would take your word and you would use it, Lord, to instruct us, to inspire us, and Lord, even convict us and help us, Lord, to be what you would have us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. I... uh... I am with you in the fact that we are living uh, in in dangerous times, and I say dangerous times in the sense that our Western culture and our Western society literally um, is almost like it's in death throes. Our culture, what's taking place in our nation, what's taking place in our school systems, and uh, it's almost like the belief in God these days is up for grabs uh, because of skepticism and, and the encroachment of sin and even uh, some would even say science. Uh, there are people that no longer believe in God because in their minds they have created an idol of what they think that God ought to be, and when God does not live up to their expectations, then um, he's just, they're disappointed in, in God. Elijah lived in very similar times. Whenever you start reading about that famous old prophet Elisha, the Tishbite, you find him around about 1 Kings 16, really taking off 1 Kings 17 and then through the end of 1 Kings and then into 2 Kings. And uh, he literally is watching Israel as they are on a path of self-destruction. Whenever he looks back at them, he starts realizing that Moses had said something about the plight of their nation back in Deuteronomy chapter 11. And beginning in verse 16, the Bible says, Take heed to yourselves, that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. 
And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you, and he shut up the heaven that there be no rain, and that the land yield not her fruit, and lest ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. Therefore shall ye lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. Elijah was familiar with that. And so whenever he gets to that place that he begins to see Israel drift, there's a response that he has. And, and you're aware of the response that is in the Old Testament. But James comes along in James chapter 5 and verse 17. Here's what he says. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And here's what Elijah did. Elijah literally prayed for there to be a drought to take place so that it would affect and impact the, the economy uh, there of that nation, that his thoughts were that Israel would wake up and turn around and respond back to the Lord. And so that's what motivated him to pray. This is a very uh, challenging thing for somebody to pray. However, he wanted revival so bad, and he wanted spiritual awakening so bad that he was willing to say, I'm putting aside my own thoughts for personal comfort so that Israel might turn their hearts back to God. And I would just tell you here tonight, our problems in America, they're, they're not economic, they're not political, they are not educational, they're not medical or any other way that you could put them in there. America's, America's got a theology problem. That, that's really what it boils down to, that America has a problem with theology and yet those problems can be so very deep-seated. And yet the text that I read to you here tonight in Mark chapter 9 and verse 29 is not just for a certain class of what we would say, well, these are serious believers. These are serious saints. These are, are serious converts. The Lord was, was telling his disciples, he was saying, I want you to understand this one thing, that there are some things that cannot move. Uh, the situation will not be changed until there is some intense prayer and that there is some fasting that has been put and that is involved there. Now, when you look back uh, historically, there are times where that, that people would give themselves to fasting and to prayer. In 1625, in the great city of London, there was a plague that, that broke forth. And so on July the 3rd, which was a, a uh, uh, Sunday there, they determined that what they would do was that in two weeks' time on July the 20th, which was a Wednesday, that the churches in the London area would start uh, giving themselves to the matter of prayer and fasting until that plague turned loose there in, 
in London. And so the call for the churches there and the pastors to give themselves to the matter of prayer and, and fasting was echoed all throughout the pulpits and the churches there in uh, that great city. And yet we also find historically that, that whenever the people immigrated from Great Britain, even over here to the United States, there was a lot of what we call Puritan influence. And if you know anything at all about the Puritans, you know that there was a, a call that they had toward holiness and that there was a call toward repentance and prayer, but also they very much practiced the matter of fasting. And so these little churches that were scattered uh, throughout what we would consider the early stages of the United States of America, whether that little small group was just a handful or whether there were several hundred that were there, these people practiced the matter of, of fasting. And, and yet fasting is becoming a lost art among our churches. And so I would ask you this question here tonight. It's sort of like the question about hell. When was the last time you heard a Bible study or a sermon about hell? Or when was the last time that you heard a Bible study or a message sermon that was about fasting? Because it's not something that, that churches or pastors normally look to, and yet the fact is, is that if we are not a praying church, I mentioned this morning that there are spiritual diseases that can get woven in uh, to a congregation. I would also say that that fasting is very important in uh, our lives. And, and I confess to you here uh, tonight that whenever I was younger, that there was a much more disciplined and concerted effort toward fasting, especially whenever I was in my early, mid, and late 30s and early 40s. And uh, as I have gotten older, I have have excused myself and and I've been kind of like whenever the Lord, that phrase that uh, is used in that, that manner that, that when the Lord called them, the Bible says they begin one after another to make excuses. And there are times that I have made excuses as to why uh, that I should not fast. But I pray tonight that whenever I'm finished here that, that I have encouraged you uh, to see the importance of that. So, so what is fasting? It's an abstinence from food and drink. Uh, there are times where that even the Puritans would allow that uh, to interrupt some of their uh, their their sleep patterns, where that they would would cut back on their sleep and they would would fast from their times of sleep. You say how how uh, extreme that is, and yet they're is a walk with the Lord that we all have as much of God as we want. And we're going to face some challenges in our generation that our parents, nor our grandparents, nor our great-grandparents, that they did not face. And we have to make a determination that we're going to give ourselves to prayer and to fasting. And if we don't do that, then our families, they're going to experience the liabilities and it perhaps could jeopardize uh, what God would do in their life. Now, uh, there are some part, Mark nine twenty nine again, and he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and by fasting. Now, there, there are some 
matters that cannot be taken down uh, in a spiritual matter unless that you give yourself to a time of concerted prayer and fasting. At the same time, whenever people start hearing you call for fasting, they start, oh, that's legalistic. That's, that's mind and rules. That's all that sort of matter. But I would just say again, as I said last Sunday night, that just as holiness is a matter of fellowship, I would say that fasting is also going to be a matter of fellowship as well. And so what do we do with this matter of fasting? It's not so that we can be exalted in the minds of men, or the eyes of men rather. That was the trap that the Pharisees, that they fell into. And they fasted so that they could be seen of men. And the Lord dealt with that in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, here are these people that they're fasting so that they can be seen. But Jesus said, I'll tell you what I want you to do when you fast. I want you to wipe your face. I want you to brush your teeth. He didn't say that. That's a, that's a more modern translation. Okay, That's my translation. <laughs> he said, wipe your face and brush your teeth and don't walk around with this hangdog look that, oh, dear God, I'm, I'm fasting. My blood sugar's 37. Somebody help me. Somebody, somebody's got to help me. My blood sugar's falling down so low. That's not the way that we should fast. We should fast, and we should, as Jesus said, go through it in a manner where that nobody knows what's taking place. Now, let's talk about some of the conditions of fasting. When should you fast? Well, number one, and I've got seven of these. If you want to count them down, and you'll kind of know uh, when they're dwindling down. So, number one, a condition for fasting is in times of declining spirituality. What does that look like? Well, in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 36, there was a lady that was named Anna. And here's what Luke writes. He says in verse 36, he said, And there was one Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of, of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about four score and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave, th gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Here was a lady that had been married for a brief period of time and then her husband had passed away and then she determined that for a number of decades that she was going to as the scripture says, if she was uh, 23 years old, and she married, got married at 16 or 15, which uh, was somewhat common for the day there, and her husband died at, at maybe 22 or 23 years old. Now she's, she's really pushing on somewhere right at if 84 years 
that she's a widow. She's pushing well on into 100 years old, and yet she looked around at what was taking place in Israel, and she gave herself to prayer and to fasting. She didn't depart from the temple, the Bible says, and she served God with fastings and with prayer. And so we give ourselves to fasting whenever there are times of decline in spirituality. We're there, church. You live in a time where that there is a decline in the spiritual level of our nation. The second thing that we find people fasting is, is in times of, of deep grief. What does that look like? First Chronicles chapter 10 and verse 12, the Bible says there, They arose all the valiant men and took away the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons and brought them to Jabesh and buried their bones under the oak in Jabesh and they fasted seven days. This scripture right here signals to us the event that whenever Saul died, that there was a matter of national mourning that was there. And, and uh, despite the fact that Saul had wandered away from the original purpose of God in his life, there still was that sadness that that nation had, that we feel grief because of this time of, of what we would say uh, deep grief. The third thing that I would point to you is this, is that we should fast in times of domestic sin. What does that look like? First Samuel chapter 20 and verse 34, the Bible says there, so Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did eat no meat the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. Now here's what's taking place. Jonathan is there in his home. He's observing what his father has done and the Bible tells us that that grieved him and so he fasted because there was something that was going on in a place where there was a domestic problem. Now, we live in a day and age now and I, I gingerly step into this uh, but there is domestic abuse that is involved in families. I pray that that's not here. However, you work with someone, you're related to somebody where domestic abuse has taken place. And here is Jonathan that he's given himself to a place where that he knows that his father is, is troubled by a demon spirit. And he's willing to say, I'm going to fast. Do you ever get concerned enough about your family that you're willing to fast for their spiritual well-being? And I just encourage all of you that's got young kids in your house uh, for you to spend some time fasting and in prayer for your children. The fourth thing that I would mention here that uh, these are times of, of fasting, is in times of devastating plagues or famines. 
in Joel chapter 2. We a lot of times look at that, that it's prophetic. It's about the outpouring of the Spirit of God. But when you look in Joel chapter 2 and you start in verse 12, here's what Joel says. He said, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. You see there in verse 12, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. And so Joel's concern was the fact that there were famines. You can read about the canker worm, the palmer worm, the caterpillar, and then the locust that is talked about there in the book of Joel. And what is taking place, these people are giving themselves to fasting because of these devastating events. And hurricane season is, is on the way. And we know what it's like to be here in the deep south and experience and know what tornadoes are like and know what hurricanes and the devastating power that's involved in that. The fifth reason is in times of distressing attacks. Brother Patterson mentioned this this morning in his Sunday school lesson, but in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says there, And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord, even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Here's the part where that Jehoshaphat was so distressed about what was taking place that whenever he found out what was going on, and he was probably motivated somewhat by great fear, the Bible tells us, that he gave himself to the matter of fasting. And then number six, in times of needed divine counsel, Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, the Bible says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them. They sent them away. Uh, too many people make huge decisions in their lives and never give it a moment's thought about fasting, about a marital spouse, marital partner, uh, about career choices, about college or vocational classes. This is huge. About geographical changes where that they move away. Now, I'm prejudiced. I think this is a great church. And I hope most of you believe that here. Um, I just say that if you have something in mind for your transfer or job move, you better make sure that where you move to, that there is a solid church for you to go and to worship and to pray and to fast. Because I, I promise you this, whenever you get to wherever you're going to go, there are going to be problems and difficulties and calamities. And the last thing that you need is a weak church. Number seven, 
you need to fast in times of desperate personal confession of sin. What does that look like? You remember David's challenge, and Brother Patterson mentioned one of his challenges today whenever he was caught up in the matter of, of the battle with, with Absalom and all that took place with Amnon and Tamar and, and uh, Jonadab and, and, and again, it literally when you start reading that in the Bible, it's almost like a thriller when you start reading what all happened uh, with all of that. But, but David exemplifies the matter of, of fasting and confession of sin in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. There was the death of a child. There was a murder of a man. There was the physical act of adultery. And David felt like I've got to fast for this matter. But he wasn't alone in that. There was also, you fast forward to the New Testament and you find in Acts chapter 9 that, that Paul is on his way to Damascus and the Bible tells us that there was a strong confrontation that he had with the Lord and he was blind for three days. And yet what does the scripture say? Acts chapter 9 and verses 8 and 9, and Saul arose from the earth and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither did eat nor drink. He was trying to process in his mind how he had gotten so deceived and then that he had killed those early Christians. Okay, since this is instruction, now is the test. What's the first reason for fasting? I didn't hear that real well, y'all. Say it again. You know what? Times of declining spirituality. What's the second reason? What's the third reason? What's number four? What's number five? What's number six? What's number seven? You made a hundred. Well done, our good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of the Lord. <laughs> so let's talk about the purpose of fasting. Why, why should you fast? Well, some people practice intermittent fasting. They'll fast for 18 hours, and uh, but that's not generally for spiritual benefits. It's for weight loss. Uh, it is for mental clarity. Well, y'all thought that weight loss was real funny. I, I sometimes think it's funny, too, and the older I get, it's not getting quite as funny as what it used to. But anyway. Um, don't y'all don't let me lose this thing right now, okay? We need to get it get it back in the back on the road and get it out of the ditch. But uh, pur purpose purpose for fasting is is not weight loss, not mental clarity. Um, there are some things that spiritual fasting does. One one of the things that spiritual fasting does for you is is it helps you to control your earthly appetites. And uh, 
Another thing that it does is it helps you to be thankful for material gifts. Because there's times whenever you withdraw and you fast and you start back eating again, and even in the simplicity of those early meals, we'll talk about that here in just a little bit, even when you start back, there's something about it that you think, thank God for this food even in its simplicity. Fasting helps us to further our sanctification. What's sanctification? It's a walk in holiness. This is your walk of separation from this world. Fasting can help you in your walk with holiness. Fasting, number four, helps us to put our weaknesses in God's spotlight. It helps to do those things, but yet the real purpose of fasting really is found, I believe, in Mark chapter 9. This is debatable. Uh, This is just, I just encourage all of you to just do your own topical Bible study of fasting. Get you a knave's topical Bible and look at just the topic of fasting. Or if you have Logos uh, Bible software, go in there in the fact book and look at uh, what it has to say. Brother Chad, Brother Justin, Sister Lauren, um, Brother Nate, I know they've got Logos, and I don't know who else has it, but go in there and look in the fact book and look what the Bible has to say about fasting. And then what you do is you look at those scriptures and you do what I say is principalize the scripture. You look at that verse and say, what is this verse saying about fasting? What's the surrounding context? What does it look like? You say, that's not apostolic. It is apostolic. Because Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, what does it say? It says, these Bereans, what does it say about them? Anybody remember? These were more noble than they because the Bereans searched the Scriptures daily to see if these things were right. And so when I look at Mark chapter 9 and verse 29, the Bible says, And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. So what was the purpose of the fasting here? It is to help us see God glorified over the grievous effects and impacts of sin. Because you remember, here is that. If you still have your Bible open there, here is what the Scripture has to say. I didn't give this to you. Uh, Clay, but let's start there in uh, in chapter nine, and let's look there in verse uh, twenty. The Bible says, "And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, wallowed foaming." And he asked his father, "How long, Jesus? How long has it been since this child came unto him?" And and he said, of it, or since this came unto him, he said of a child. And oft times it cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord. This is important too. He said, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Have you ever been there? I've been there. 
Lord, I believe you can do it. But you're going to have to help me with my unbelief because right now I am overwhelmed with the physical circumstances that I'm looking at. But here's what Jesus' response was. The Bible says that when Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. The spirit cried out, and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come in to the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and by fasting. Now here's the part that we're looking at. Then there's times whenever you can get engaged with prayer and with fasting, and it's not so that you can be the rock star, but it is so that the glory of God can be elevated above the power and the strength of the enemy and what does the Bible say that Jesus came to do? He came to destroy the works of the enemy and there's no demonic force that can stop and hinder what God wants to do. And so that's where I'd encourage you uh, to take a look at this matter of fasting. So what are some of the benefits? Turn to Isaiah 58. I want you to see this not just on the screen, but in your own Bible. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 58. And uh, if there's a chapter that deals with the matter of fasting in the Scriptures, it's going to be Isaiah chapter 58. It really starts at verse 5. But I'm going to just tell you tonight, we've uh, talked about why we ought to, the, the times that we should fast and and the purpose for fasting. Now let me give you some of the benefits of fasting. Look in verse 8, Isaiah 58 and verse 8 and verse 9. Here's what the Bible says. Then shalt thou thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy re-reward following behind. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here am I, if thou take away the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity. Skip down now to verse 11, and notice what the prophet writes there. He says, And the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones, and thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the paths to dwell in. And so if you start looking at the list of promises that comes to people that fast, what do they look like? They look like light. 
health, righteousness, glory, answered prayer, continual guidance, satisfaction, refreshing work that endures, and restoration. I got a feeling that every person here tonight, that if the Lord has filled you with the Spirit and that you are a believer, then here is something that I believe that all of us, that we would say, I want those things in my life. And they're promised to us. But how do you get that? It's by fasting. And you spend your time in fasting. So let's talk about some of the practical aspects of fasting. And, and, um, and I'm almost finished. Um, here's what a plan for fasting looks like. And for a number of years, especially again, when I was in my 30s and, and uh, probably midway through my 40s, uh, this was pretty much the pattern that I followed. It's not original with me, but it's original with one of the Bible college instructors, Brother A.B. Keating. And uh, so I got it from him back in the late 80s, early 90s. But the plan is to fast one day a week. For me, that was usually Mondays. And then once a quarter, there was a three-day fast. And then once a year was a seven-day fast. Now. I only did a seven-day fast twice. Um, and if you're going to fast for seven days, you you need to be aware um, it's a long haul. Um, but but again, I promise you, you do a, a, a one-day or a three-day fast, there are things that the Lord will put in your heart and in your spirit. And you say, well, that looks like discipline. And you're right, it does. But do you remember what Paul told Timothy? What's that? Exercise yourself to godliness. Some of the more modern translations use it like this. It says, discipline yourselves for godliness. And so that's something that you map out. And you take November and December and you open up the next year and you look at the weeks that are coming in. You say, okay, here are some times that I'm setting aside for me to fast. Why is it that whenever we go to college or we go to any kind of rigorous academic program, and that we have a syllabus that we follow out, and they say these are the things, and your test will be on this date, this date, this date, and these papers will be due at this point and this point and this point. Isn't that that's the way it is, Hannah? I'll arrest you college students. That's the way they lay it out. Sometimes it, the question in my mind is this, is why don't we translate those things into our spiritual life? Um, I, um, I've been reading a lot of books here in the last, and forgive me for telling you that. I, I don't want to say that to you in a way that, um, but I just, I mean, I, I believe that readers are leaders. And I want to do everything my, I can to open my mind and spirit up to spiritual and godly and reverent things. And so, uh, 
And Brother Mullen, I do have a problem. Um, and I need to, Nate needs to be shot for taking y'all and showing y'all, Sister Mullen. He needs to be strung up. I know. Well, thank, thank you, Sister Mullen. Say that a little louder. Thank you. Don't take anybody else up there and show them all my, they're going to think I'm a hoarder, I'm mentally unstable or something. But anyway, um, you read things that stimulates your mind and your spirit. And uh, so I, I read this here recently in one of the books of Revival. There was a church, it was a Pentecostal church, and they were having a, a very strong revival. And there was a lady that came into the church, and it was just a casual to start, uh, just a casual entrance that she came into that church. And um, if I was to name the church, some of you would probably know uh, of that church and its reputation. But the pastor was talking about how that she came in for several weeks, and she never really got plugged in. And uh, despite the fact that the Lord was moving on her and there were people that were praying uh, with her, and about six months later she returned back uh, to the church and, and they called him, secretary called him, it was a pretty large church, secretary called him and said, there's a lady here, pastor, that says she knows you and would like uh, to, to speak with you. And so he walks into uh, the the lobby there where she's waiting and and vaguely he recognizes her and uh, her 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 appearance is so drastically different than what it was the previous six months. Well, it just so happened that he was coming. That was the thirteenth day in a fast for him personally, and uh, so her story started pouring out and she told a story about how that one night she was on her way home from work, and and uh, she saw this, this woman that was walking down uh, the road, and she felt sorry for this lady, and so was, she picked her up as a hitchhiker, and this is in the, uh, in the 2000s that this event happened, and, and uh, one thing led to another, and this lady got involved with this other uh, lady in an immoral relationship, and uh, they were together for a little bit, and then it all ended, and the lady left, and she said, oh, by the way, I need to tell you I'm a witch. And uh, so because of that, there was a demonic influence that began to work, and when that pastor walked in there, began to realize that from the way she had changed in her appearance, and he began to pray for her. He had some other people that were there at the church that day begin to pray and the Lord delivered that lady, filled her with the Spirit, and uh, she got her life back on track, moving in the right direction. I, I do thank the Lord, but the point that this pastor was getting at was that he felt like that, that because of his involvement in fasting, that there was a spiritual strength that came into his life because he was willing to give himself to fast. And so what if you were to fast one day a week and once a quarter that you fasted for three days straight and then maybe even went on a seven-day fast. And here's some practical things that I'm going to tell you about fasting. Number one, you're going to feel miserable after about eight, 12 hours. You're going to get a, you're going to get a ratcheting headache. 
And what's taking place medically is you're, we, we feed, we're constantly eating sugar. So your body starts withdrawing from that. So how do you overcome that? Some of that is you just muscle down and you just go on through it. But you need to stay hydrated. And uh, I know of fasting used to be very prominent back in uh, the 70s. There were men that come through some of the churches, a uh, man by the name of John Ekstat. This man was a, a great preacher. The Lord used him mightily, but he killed himself uh, by going on extended periods where that he would fast for 40 days at a pop. While he was taking, while he was doing that, he would take a lot of multivitamins. You, you don't need to do that. You just need to drink water and don't overload on multivitamins. And then what I would do, and you can do whatever you want to do with your fast, it's your fast. It's not my fast. And don't let somebody else put pressure on you about the way you ought to fast. But the way I would fast was at night, I would would take uh, chicken bouillon or beef bouillon uh, cubes and I would melt them down uh, in about 24 ounces of, of water. And I would drink that during the three-day uh, times whenever I would go on a three-day fast. I just felt like that's something that I wanted to do. You can do whatever uh, that you want to do. And then... I would say this, once you get to about the 36-hour point, if you've ever fasted for that length of time, once you get past that 30-hour, 35, 36-hour deal, it's like you can just keep on moving forward because your body has kind of gotten acclimated to all of the bad stuff we pour into. Not you, but that I put in my body. Um... And so I would encourage you as well as during that time of fasting uh, to give yourself to prayer and give yourself to reading and studying your Bible. Um, if you got your pen still out, I want to, um, Sister Champion and whoever else is helping her, y'all come on. Uh, again, if you read... You, you can read books that will stimulate uh, and help you with your fasting. And I'm going to tell you about the ones that have helped me over the years. Brother Griffin told us about a book that a man by the name of Arthur Wallace had written. And the title of that book was called God's Chosen Fast. And uh, it's an old book. It was probably written sometime in the 60s. A lot of old elder Preachers, I'm sure Brother Pierce's father probably had that book that he was that he used. Another book that I have found of tremendous help for me is the one that Elmer Towns wrote called "Fasting for Spiritual Breakthrough." And I'll tell you how this book helped me is because what it did. There were times when I first started fasting, I was just fasting. But if you have a purpose for why fasting and Elmer Towns book Fasting for Spiritual Breakthrough gives you probably 10 or 12 different fasts and whenever you say okay I'm fasting to bring down this particular stronghold that I have in my life that's what I'm fasting for or the Nehemiah fast well, what's that about we're building a wall building a church 
building things that are going to last and is going to help generations. And when you have a purpose for your fasting, some very positive things that can take place through that. Derek Prince wrote a book called How to Fast Successfully. He also wrote another book called Fasting or Shaping History Through Prayer and Fasting. And then a book that Brother Anthony Mangan recommended to me a number of years ago. It was a book written by David Nasser. And the title of that book was A Call to Die. And the subtitle is is A 40-Day Journey of Prayer and Fasting from the World and Feasting on God. And what you do during that time while you're fasting is there things that the Lord can do in your life because you've given yourself to prayer and you've given yourself to fasting. Now, I don't want you to walk out of here and say, okay, this is a silver bullet that I'm looking for and this is going to turn me into the next Billy Cole or next T.W. Barnes. That's not the reason that we fast. We fast so that we can see the glory of God exalted. Because I'm just going to tell you, the world wants to rip the glory of God down. I want us to stand and I'm going to pray and then I want all of our students, doesn't matter whether you're elementary, whether you're high school, middle school, college, we want you to gather in this altar and we're going to pray for you here tonight our lay ministers, our parents we're just going to pray that the Lord is going to keep his hands about us but I want to pray for you about this matter of fasting before that we do that our gracious God I'm asking you Lord tonight that God that while all of us are hungry Lord for a spiritual work in our lives help us Lord to grasp Lord, the importance of of prayer and of fasting. I pray, Lord, tonight, God, that you have inspired Jesus, this church. Lord, I know that there are things that, that you have a purpose, God, for our lives. Lord, I'm I'm asking you tonight. Lord, don't let us get to you the judgment seat of Christ and realize there was so much more potential that we did not reach because we were not willing Lord to go the extra mile I pray God to not there are those Lord in this church that have never fasted I pray God that as they start moving in that direction God, that you would help them, Lord, to see what takes place, God, with the fellowship, what takes place, God, in their souls, and God, the confidence, the assurance of faith, Lord, that's brought into their lives whenever they do fast. I pray, Lord, that tonight on this congregation, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. I'd like for our students to move out where you're at. Our lay ministers, our parents, Sunday school teachers. I want this to be a church event here tonight where that we put our hands on our students and we pray for them.
the Lord would keep his hand on them while they're in uh, our, our schools here in the Wiregrass area.